This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. The button pushing stops here. Plug the radio in. Yeah, Again, for Evidence for Faith, this is the Christian Evidences radio program that will help you to understand why it is important to have a Christian worldview and what it is to know truth and to live in truth. I have a, uh, an email here from a listener by the name of George, and he says this, I have listened to a few of your programs, and I've received the information from Dr. Larrakis. Your research is thorough, and I appreciate the insights. This show is based on evidence research as well as truthful insights from scholarly works by uh, Christian philosophers as well as the scientific mainstream. Hello everyone, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. And I'm Keith Kendricks. And welcome to our show. Uh, Keith, we have a great show today. Yep, we are going to be talking about the microbiology of aging and what it has to do with the Bible. Did people really live to be 900 years old, as described in the Bible, or not? Is that something to laugh at? Is that a sign of the mythology of the Bible? We'll find out today, because that's our topic. If you'd like to join in on the topic, ask questions, you can call us at 609-398-1020. You can also email us at uh, evidenceforfaith, that's evidencethenumberforfaith.com. It is nine days until Election Day, so we wanted to remind people to get out there and vote. I was at a, a rally, I guess you would call it, up in North Jersey, Americans for Prosperity, and it was an excellent time, very exciting. Got to meet Hugh Hewitt and a couple other dignitaries, so that was a lot of fun. So I'm all charged up, ready to go out and vote. Let's okay. get it done. I'd like to remind everyone that this uh, show is sponsored in part by Grace Community Church. You can check them out on their new website at uh, a placeforgrace.org. That's a place, the number four, grace.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and iTunes. In fact, uh, we have just about 100 shows now recorded. That's right. We're, I think we're at 98 today. Mm-hmm. 98 today. So, so that will be going up online in a couple of days. Now, since we are, I do have a couple of news items, and since we're near the election, this one has to do with politics. I thought it was very important because it shows, this is a study done by Charles Gave of GaveCal Research. It is a, an analysis, a financial analysis of European governments, and it break, breaks down the different countries and compares the increasing government debt and how it crowds out the necessary savings that allows that's done by private investment that allows for the growth of the economy. So what he did is he took, and, then, and the chart that I have in front of me is of France, and it shows the ratio between the private versus government sector. So what percentage of the economy is private and then it compares that to the growth rate of the economy. And there is a direct correlation with the percent of private economy leading the indicator for the growth. So as, as the percentage of the economy is more in control of private hands, growth happens, growth increases. And as the government starts to take over, growth decreases. And this was true for all the studies, all the countries that he studied. It shows um, that the ratio of the public sector to the private sector also, when compared to unemployment, was not quite as direct, but it was a clear correlation over time. So it shows that the private sector, it's the private sector that increases productivity and government transfer payments do not. So that was a uh, very question interesting study. F- question, Keith. I didn't read the article. 
was there a magic number as far as the ratio goes? In other words, if there is more than one-third of the people employed by government agencies, is that like a break point as far as causing the economy to go in a downward spiral? Is there a magic number? Well, there probably is like an ideal number. I mean, if you look at things like the Laffer curve, where he tried to estimate what the best, most efficient tax rate was, it was about 20%. So I'm sure that for percent of government versus the percent of private sector, there probably is an ideal number, but uh, that isn't shown here. This chart that I have for France over the past 20 years shows the private sector being between 58% and 68% of the economy. So that's a massive government. So that means that the government has been varying between 32 and 42% of the entire economy, whereas in the U.S. we're down around somewhere about 14 or 15% of the economy is the government. Although I guess if you take in all the trillions of dollars that have been spent in the last year, that's probably changed significantly. But So at least in that range of 58 to 68%, there was a direct correlation. The closer they went to less private percentage, then the growth rate goes down virtually to zero when you get down to 58% private control. And when you get up to 68%, it was around 4% growth. Theoretically, should it should hold for quite a bit. I mean, obviously, you need government to spend something. But the more you spend on government, because it's non-productive, government is non-productive. It's just a, just a waste. So that's the take-home point. Big government is not necessarily good government. Right. And if you want to fix things like unemployment, you've got to make the government smaller. Then the, then employment gets bigger. And creating jo- government jobs is not necessarily the answer. That's actually the poison. You know, big government, including government jobs, is worse for the economy. Right. What the government has to do is um, make the private sector, um, in a sense, more capable right. of creating new jobs. Make it more efficient get rid of some of the unnecessary regulation. Not that, again, all regulation is uh, unnecessary, not that, but that there's sometimes there's too much regulation that hampers the private sector. So taxation, there's three things, taxation, spending, and regulation. Those are the three things that the government does that interferes with the private sector. So, Keith, 25 years ago when I started my practice, I had three government oversight agencies that I was responsible to. Okay. I now have 27. Wow. I call them layers of the stinky onion, and I'm just handcuffed year after year by more regulation. For our, for our listeners, the uh, Mike is a physician in the area. So so your business then, as a physician, is, are you more prosperous now, or are you more prosper, were you more prosperous when you had only three regulators? Believe it or not. During the Reagan era was my most prosperous time. Okay. Believe it or not. So the eighties. Late eighties. Yeah, correct. that from actually for me working in healthcare, that also we got regular raises. Mm-hmm. You know, you just could count on uh ten, fifteen percent raises every single year mm-hmm. uh during the Reagan Revolution, yeah. Because he freed the private sector and the entrepreneur to actually invest into the production of capital goods. Okay, then there's another study that came across my desk, and this is very interesting. It's from the American Psychological Association, and it is a warning about the pressure that there is on young girls from clothing lines and cartoons and choreography of shows and commercials that sexualizes young women. So they warn that the sexualization of girls is harmful to their self-image and healthy development. And then there's a quote here, girls are experiencing teen pressures at younger and younger ages. However, they are not able to deal with these issues because their cognitive development is out of sync with their social, emotional, and sexual development. So it talks about then, it talks about the related proliferation of sexual images that undermine the girl's confidence in her own body and how this research links sexualization with three of the most common mental health problems diagnosed in girls and women, which are eating disorders, low self-esteem, and depression. 
So we mention all these items on the show because we talk about how the Bible affects everyone's worldview and how if we only follow the guidelines in the Bible, we would have a stronger economy and stronger homes and stronger social life. So Christianity offers many, many benefits to the individual, to society, and to the nation as a whole. Outstanding. The message I take from that is don't let the kids watch MTV videos. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is one of the things. Yeah, at, at least not at a young age. All right, so let's get into our topic. Did people ever live to be 900 years old? Well, Keith, you know, um, when I read Genesis for the very first time at the ripe old age of 42, which is when I came to know... What took you so long? I was wandering in the wilderness for about 40 years. <laughs> but anyway, when I first read Genesis at the ripe old age of 42, I looked at the lifespan of some of the, the patriarchs, especially uh, Methuselah, 969 mm -hmm. years. And uh, my understanding at that time uh, was that the... Uh, Earth was a completely different environment, right? And probably it, it was than what it is now. Yep. And that the the the, the um, atmospheric pressure was different. Uh, mm -hmm. The oxygen concentration of the atmosphere was different. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, of course, there was a, a a vapor canopy over the Earth, which probably that's been suggested, right? Filtered out many of the harmful. That's not in the Bible, though. No, I know that Ma many of the harmful UV rays. Well, it is indirectly. If you, if you look at Genesis uh, chapter 1 between verses uh, 7 and 12, it talks about uh, the vapor canopy. Right. Well, Directly. it talks it about a firmament. The front, right. Right. But the, the vapor canopy is suggested uh, by the water layer above and the waters below. Right. Okay. So right. that probably had a lot to do with filtering out a lot of harmful UV radiation. Right. And, um, um, of course, it was a completely different environment. But... Let's talk about the genetic basis for this suggestion in the Bible, if you will. Well, before that, let's go over what the Bible actually says. Okay. All right? So the Bible describes the lifespan of people prior to the flood of Noah as normally lasting hundreds of years. Yeah, and if you, if you do the math, I mean, if you look at all the old patriarchs uh, in Genesis, mm -hmm. uh, excluding Enoch and Lamech, who exited early— the average lifespan of the patriarchs was about 929 years. Which is incredible. Right. Enoch was taken up by God at the age of 365, and Lamech, the father of Noah, only lived to be about 777 years. Right. Uh, but we really, really don't know uh, if he died from old age or some other uh, disease process. Right. So of if you take those two out and then you look at the numbers in that average, the longest lifespan is, of course, most people know, Methuselah, who lived to be 969 years old. And the youngest was Mahalalel, who lived to be 895. How about, how's that for being the, the young guy to die at a young age? 895. So very long. So that's before the flood. Right. Okay. But after the flood, the lifespans of each successive generation begin to decline until you get down to, I think Saul is the first of the patriarchs who lived to be 70 years, and then David also after him lived to be 70 years old. So you right. get and this plateau back about 1000 B.C., yeah, and, and 70 years is roughly what we're seeing today. You know, the average Correct. male is about 75, average female about 79, but that number keeps rising slowly mm -hmm. uh, through the years uh, because of a lot of different uh, advances. But, you know, when you look at the uh, patriarchs and the biblical account, yeah. it's very concise, it's very neat, and, and it looks more like a historical narrative than anything else. Yeah, it does not really sound mythological. It sounds like... It's simply a recording of facts. You know, so-and-so was so in such and such age when he had his first child, and then he lived so many years more. It sounds very straightforward. It does not sound like it's uh, mythological in nature, very decorated, and it just sounds pretty straightforward, but still very hard to believe, because we're not used to any kind of science, any kind of thinking that would 
lead us to believe that people could live that long. After all, our own experience is that people only live to be 70 years old or so. And I, so. and I know, Keith, for a fact that there are skeptics listening right now that are probably laughing at the concept that people could live to be, on average, eight or 900 years old. You know, right. this, this is, a, well, th- this is the, the mythology of the Bible, so to speak, that, that people will bring up. Yep. But we're going to talk about the, the science behind the, uh, the gene uh, in the microbiological sense within the cell that would actually allow for people to live long yeah. and the cells to, to live a long time. Right. So the real question then is, is there any reason to believe that instead of people living only to 90 that they could live to be 900. And I wrote down in my notes in the margin that this is a non sequitur. Just because people live to be no more than 90 years old typically today does not mean that in the past someone couldn't have lived longer. I mean, think about it. Just philosophically, it just doesn't follow. There's no reason to think that they couldn't have. So so it's premature, actually, for the skeptic to laugh at this kind of concept without any real clue as to what causes aging. You know, so, Keith, the, the oldest patient that I've directly treated was 102 years of, uh, of age uh-huh. before he died. Mm-hmm. Right now I have six people over the age of 90 in my practice. Now, as an internist, I do see older folks. Right. That's that makes just, sense. That's just the way it is. But these people are by and large sharp. And I try to explain to their family members who come in at the time of their visits that it's an amazing thing that, number one, these people are still alive. Number two, that they're not in a nursing home. And number three, they're still living a reasonably normal life, you know, with a little bit of infirmity. But we would expect that at the age of 90. Or let's say they're bionic and they have a pacemaker, which would be right up your alley. I'm trying to <laughs> help you along those there lines, you, go. you know? <laughs> yeah, get me some business or something. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, it does happen. We are seeing more and more people live to be older at right. this point in time. And that's because of things like sanitation and vitamins <laughs> and healthy eating and things like that. And so it was natural if you would ask this question to Christian pastors or something, they would be natural that they would tell you that it is something like that. It has to do something with cosmic radiation in the past was less or, you know, nutrition changes or something that, or DNA decay. And if you look historically, Josephus thought that it was because the ancients had better food than we have today, and that that was the real reason why people didn't live as long. So a lot of possibilities, but I think today we're going to pin it down for our listeners exactly what it is, why we do get older, and Maybe even is there something can be done about it? We might get into that later. You know, Keith, you you mentioned uh, sanitation. That is one of the major reasons why people in the 19th going into the 20th century and forward are living longer. But there's one other thing, refrigeration. Oh, yeah, for food. Yes, because bad food is one of the major causes of death in the uh, third world countries, you know, with uh, dysentery and so forth. Um, You know, the average lifespan right now is... I already mentioned between 75 and 80. Right. But, you know, when you go back to the turn of the century in 1900, it was only at about uh, 45 to 50 years of age. Mm-hmm. Okay, and now we're 70 plus. Um, so that's a that's a huge change, and that's is. all in just 100 years. And if you go back to medieval times, it was even less. It yeah. was 30 to 35 years of age. Yeah, now you hear that. That wasn't necessarily because of, of aging or old age. It's because people got killed in battle. People died from pneumonia. Yeah. And, you know, you have modern health care advances. People don't realize that modern health started, modern medical uh, treatment started in 1940 with the advent of penicillin, 1938 with sulfa. Mm-hmm. Uh, so prior to that, people died from pneumonia. Right. And when you hear that, it, it always makes me wonder when people say that, well, you know, the average age back in the Middle Ages was 30. Uh, you know, I wonder if they think that that means that people died of old age at 35 oh. or 40 years old. You know, do they have, you know, were they walking with a cane, you know, and have uh, right. wrinkly skin and, and all long gray hair at 40 years old, you know, or something? Yeah. But that's not what you're talking about. Yeah. Women died from childbirth. So they would have been in their prime mm-hmm. uh, years of childbearing between the ages of 30, 35, 
women died from purple sepsis and, and uh, delivery complications and you know the baby didn't progress and, and both the mother and the baby died right and know. that goes the baby deaths infant mortality that goes into the calculation Correct. of the average only being 30 so really you know when you think back still even though the average age was 30 in a village of several hundred people, there would still have been the occasional old man who was 80 years old. Correct. So because that was a typical lifespan, 70 to 80 is a typical lifespan, and that's been true for thousands of years, no matter what the average age is due to, to other reasons. Now, historically, science has always thought that the theoretical limit of age would be 120 to 125 years, okay? But... We do know more about this now, um, whereby it's, it's going to be very possible in the very near future, in the next 20, 30, 40 years, that this number could go up dramatically higher. And right. we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that. But so far, I think the oldest person was 122 years. Mm -hmm. So there is some kind of limit right now. And that seems strange. Why is there a limit? Well, we, first we have to look at why people grow old and die, all right? So this aging actually takes place at the cellular level. Now, we know that, it's, and especially if you've been listening to the show, because we talk a lot about these microbiology concepts and how they relate to the evidences for Christianity, we know that our cells replace themselves, okay, that they repair themselves and they replace themselves so that a damaged cell that can't be repaired is replaced by a new one, okay? So if cells that are being damaged repair themselves, and cells that are too damaged to be repaired get replaced, why is it that we would ever die at all? Think about it. Why would we grow old? You want me to give the answer? Well, now? you're the doctor. No, don't give it oh, away. Oh, okay. But let's just. You, you want to keep the listeners hanging. Let's just progress slowly <laughs> here. Okay. All right. Well, here's another uh, question we'll throw out there. Uh, we know that fruit flies die of old age in about a month. Yeah. Now, see, and this is really bizarre. And we know that dogs, on average, live about 12 years plus or minus, depending on their size. Right. The bigger dogs die at about nine or 10 years of age. The smaller dogs, like the Chihuahuas and so forth, beagles, can live longer. Okay. Okay. But on average, a dog you know, lives about 12 years, and we all know the formula, seven years for, for one year uh, of human life. So right now, my Brandy is nine years old. She's, she's older than I am now. She's 63. I know. Our dog has been with us only about 10 years, and you can tell that she's getting old. She has arthritis. She has a small lump under her skin that may be a melanoma or something. I guess, no, a lymphoma probably. So... She's getting old. She's got gray hair. She's only 10, and she's got gray hair and arthritis. Mm -hmm. So why are these things that way? I've even heard that there are some trees that live for thousands of years. Why do trees live thousands of years, but fruit flies only live 30 days? Yeah, I, I've seen those trees, the redwoods. Um, they're, they're phenomenal, phenomenal trees. Koi uh, fish yeah. can live to be 200. And did you know, Mike, that, and we've mentioned it on the show before, bacteria do not die of old age. Amazing. They just repair themselves or they divide. Why is this? Does this make any sense in an evolutionary framework? Well, we, I think we have to frame this discussion uh, within the science of aging as we know it right now. Uh, and basically, we have to start with the number of cells in our bodies. Uh, it's a phenomenal number, but human beings are made up of about 100 trillion cells. That's a, a big, big number of cells. But these cells are broken down into compartments, okay? We right. have cells that are organized into tissues, and then these tissues get organized into organs, okay? And all of these organs are made up by, by different tissues, okay? And these were all predetermined going all the way back to the time where you had the ovum and the sperm uh, unite, right. okay, conception occurs, and then the, uh, the, the morula starts to divide, that's the earliest stages of the embryo, and then stem cells start to differentiate into these various types of organs and tissue cells. All okay, right. so it all starts with, with the beginning at conception and then the stem cells, that's the key. Okay, 
Now, before we get too into it, let's just remind everyone that you are listening to Evidence for Faith. If you're just joining us, I'm Keith Kendricks. Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Arrakis. And the call line is open, 609-398-1020. You can listen to us on 1020 AM live or by internet, wibg.com. You can stream live during the broadcast time. But also we record these and put them on our podcast at evidenceforfaith.com. You can email us there. You can read our bios. And if you like, you can also download all the podcasts from iTunes. So you can put them on your iPod and take them with you and listen to them later. So that is Evidence for Faith. So, all right, Mike, now that we know about the tissues and how they're arranged, what about aging? Why do tissues age? Well, l- let's go back to the early 60s when a uh, scientific researcher, a genetic researcher by the name of Leonard Hayflick, discovered that human fetal cells can only divide between 40 and 60 times. This became later known as the Hayflick limit, the Hayflick limit. Okay, so what he decided or what he found was that no matter what, there was a, a built-in genetic clock that limited the growth or the reproduction, if you will, the division rate of human fetal cells to between 40 and 60. Right. So, and this apparently then is what controls our aging. So even though cells can repair themselves, and even though if they're too damaged to be repaired, they can replace themselves, mm-hmm. there's only a certain number of times that they can replace themselves. And that seems to be the limiting factor that keeps you from staying young and keeps you from continuing to live. Right. So anyway, going forward another 10 years in the early 70s, the biological clock was discovered that controls Mm -hmm. replication. Mm -hmm. Okay, going back to the early 50s, I'm just going to give a little timeline here. That's when DNA was discovered by Watson and Crick in 1954, and they they received the uh, Nobel Peace Prize for their work. Uh, one in England, one in the United States. Uh, so these things have been uh, researched now only for the last 50 or 60 years. Okay. Now, all organisms, all organisms have a biological clock that causes them to grow old and die. Okay. So built into each um, life system is the fact that they can only duplicate and replicate and divide so often. And after that, the, uh, the organism uh, will grow old and die. Without that clock, the living things would never die of old age. In other words, they would be eternal. Right, right. And we've talked about these repair mechanisms a little bit. So let's clarify that for people who have missed that information. Inside each of the cells in your body are very, very sophisticated repair systems and actual machines Machines built out of protein. They're not built out of steel, but they're built out of protein. They're fabricated to perform certain functions, and one of those functions is repair. So they're constantly repairing the damage that's done in the normal day-to-day activities of the uh, cell, the normal wear and tear. They're constantly working on that. Now, the problem is that these repair mechanisms themselves are subject to wear and tear. So eventually, the cell gets behind, basically. All right, we have a caller, so let's go ahead and take our caller. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Uh, This is very interesting. Um, I have a question, and um, I hear different opinions and different uh, theories on it. But genes, let's take that, genetics. Yes. What part, now, let me first say that I will be 75 next year, and only in the last couple of years do I see signs of aging. Mm. I don't know why neither one of my parents are are still alive, but um, what role does this genetic inheritance, or whatever they call it, uh, play in our lives, our existence? Well, the the genetic... Uh, inheritance, the traits that you obtained uh, from your parents from a DNA imprint point of view are probably the number one factor uh, that will allow for your 
uh, health and your well-being and your longevity. Now, there are many, many other factors that come into it. Uh, it would be diet. It would be exposures, mm-hmm. um, whether it was fumes or chemicals ingested. Um, so there are many factors that come into it, but your genetics uh, predict typically what you will uh, encounter as you get older, You know, whether it's high blood pressure or diabetes or obesity, uh, things along those lines. Now, your parents may have been exposed to a different set of circumstances that might have caused them to die at a younger age than you. But it's multifactorial, but your genetics are basically the, the tree upon which everything in your body will grow upon. And I think when you listen to uh, where we go with today's talk, you'll hear about exactly what's causing uh, aging and see how it affects everybody and how it is that you start to, at 70 years old now, you're starting to see the effects of aging. We'll, mm. we'll tell you why that is. Okay. And the other thing was that uh, medications. Now, I do know you're both the physicians, right? Just Mike. Okay. So I'm a registered nurse. Okay. Now, I steered away from, yes, when it's necessary and we need an antibiotic or whatever, but I began to see and realize that physicians were readily handing out a lot of different medications. And something told me, they said, now, do I really need this? You know, and if you give the body time, sometimes it will resolve itself. Like you said, it renews itself and whatever. Up until what age? Can we rely on our body kind of healing ourselves at what age? You know, that, that's a great uh, question. The, the answer is a very vague answer, in the, and, it's, and it's called senescence. Senescence is the autumn of your life. It's when things start to slow down mm-hmm. and your body has less and less uh, capability of repairing right. itself or fighting off disease. In fact, I can tell you that 10 years ago it was recommended that everything research showed was that people over the age of 60 were less capable of, it, of taking in that flu vaccine and building up an immune response to it because of what, what we call immune senescence. The immune cells just can't be stimulated to be programmed to take up that vaccine and then start the antibody process yep. to build. So now we've moved the age back to 50, okay? And most mm-hmm. recently, the current CDC recommendation is that you get the flu shot every year so that your immune system is on guard each and every year with the new uh, mutation of the flu virus. So okay. we'll so we'll be going into more in depth. Okay, with that. I'm going Thank to you, listen. Caller. I'm going to listen. Yeah, okay. it's very interesting. Great. Thank you. All right. So um, we were talking about how the cells are essentially programmed to die. They have that limit. They have that wear and tear. Eventually, they need to be replaced. At a certain point, at a certain level of damage in the cell, the cell actually has logic circuitry that it goes through a calculation to determine if it can continue to repair itself or if it needs to be replaced. Okay, now to me this is an amazing sign of an intelligent designer. But these logic circuits in the cell eventually tell the tissue that this particular cell needs to be replaced. Yeah, there's a concept, Keith, called apoptosis. Right, big word. Which is a scientific term, but I'll, I'll, I'll explain that to our listening audience. This, this is a, a mechanism that triggers a, a tissue stem cell to replicate and create a replacement cell. So if an old cell is damaged or old or it's just not uh, functioning properly, uh, apoptosis then happens. It triggers a process called uh, apoptosis or cell death. Right. Okay. And this process allows for the old cell to be broken down and then scavenged per, for parts and fuel. Mm-hmm. And it's basically eliminated from that tissue. Okay, and then it's replaced. Okay, now if this were to continue forever, you could live forever unless you died from an accident or a disease or some other trauma, but you would never grow old. But apoptosis does not go on forever. That's right, and that's because of what you told us about the Hayflick limit. That's correct. What's called the Hayflick limit. So at some point, a particular stem cell, and that's why it's called a stem cell, it's like the base of the tissue, and then it provides cells for the tissue, it stops dividing and it will no longer produce new cells for the tissue in question. At that point, the cell that needs to be replaced will not go through apoptosis. It won't destroy itself, it won't scavenge itself, but instead it just tries to hang on. It tries to survive as long as it can. 
because it can't be replaced. So it knows that the logic circuitry tells it just survive as long as you can. Okay, and that's actually where senescence comes in. Okay, right. when the cell cell reaches that stage, it can't be replaced. It's called senescent. Right. Okay, so I mentioned immune senescence. That's when the immune system can no longer react to an invading bug. Right. And that's why older folks typically die from pneumonia and viral-related illnesses and other infections. Because it's not just their their like skin that's getting old. Also, the cells, the tissues, and blood is a, considered a tissue. The immune cells inside the blood get old. And, and, and you they know what? can Al no longer function properly. Along those lines, Keith, with the immune system starting to break down and wear out and get old and not recognize things, mm -hmm. cancer cells can start popping up and start, start multiplying. Right. Okay. So what happens is, you know, as young people, we're always developing cancerous cells, but our immune system is right on it and it eliminates these cancerous cells as foreign bodies immediately. With immune senescence, however, and the aging process, cancers become a major, major player in the death of a human being. Right. In, in fact, it's the number three cause of death. In fact, if I can line them up, it's, it's going to be heart attack, stroke, cancer. Yeah. And pneumonia, no, that's number four. That's right. So that's... It all has to do with senescence. That's correct. Now, it's interesting because the cells in different tissues in the body have different Hayflick limits. They have different limits. They have different amounts of time that they can divide. And that's basically due to the wear and tear, right? Different parts of the body have different levels of wear and tear. So, for instance, the cells inside the gut, inside the mouth and the stomach and the intestines, those have to constantly replace themselves because they're constantly being damaged So by eating food. And can you imagine if you, you know, uh, if that wasn't true and you love to eat pizza and you would be constantly burning the, you know how when you eat pizza, you tend to burn the top of your mouth and it, you peel that layer of skin off. So you, you're, the top of your mouth would essentially grow old before the rest of you did if that wasn't true. So the lining of the gut has a very high hay flick limit, but areas that have low wear and tear like the brain, actually those cells don't replace each, each other very much. And that's why a stroke is so devastating. But getting back to your... Yes, absolutely right. Because they can't, can't, can't repair, repair itself. It can't, if it's damaged beyond repair, it can't be replaced. Right. Now, yeah. getting back to the gut, the, the stomach mm -hmm. lining has the fastest rate of turnover. If you think about it, the uh, lining of the stomach is producing acid to digest food, and it's also digesting itself. So the stomach lining is replacing itself day by day by day. Right. So here's the thing about aging then. What is aging? As we age, more and more cells reach senescence and are struggling to survive. So when we're old, we have a large percentage of cells in our tissues that are senescent. When we're young, all of our cells or most of our cells are very healthy, able to be repaired, able to replace themselves. That's when our skin is very soft and supple. As we age, like right now, I mean, Mike, you're probably, you know, really, really old compared to me, and I can see... <laughs> I can see your skin, you know, is starting to get thinner. I don't have and crow's feet yet, though. You do. <laughs> I do. I do. I have you have a lot of gray feet. hair. Okay. That's true. That's true. So the so maybe I've got, what, 20, 30% of the skin cells, the cells in my skin are senescent right now and can no longer be. They're just hanging on. But as I get older, when I'm 80 years old, maybe 70 or 80% of the skin cells on the surface of my skin are barely hanging on. You know, it's really interesting, Keith, in this area around the shore, we see a lot of patients over the age of 60 who are seeing their dermatologists constantly Absolutely. because of skin damage and, and sunspots and, and cancers and so forth because the skin can't repair itself. The other any thing, longer. It can't repair itself any longer. Right. And the yeah. other thing that I see is people always ask me, why, why do I get these purple blotches under my skin? Ooh. And I tell them that because as we get older, the um, collagen support structure underneath the skin gets thinner and thinner and thinner yes. to yes. the point where you develop what we call cellophane skin. It's really right. transparent. You can actually see your tendons and your, your veins. And, uh, you know, if you bump it or bruise it or scratch it just a little bit, you get this big yep. purple blotch because the blood vessels are no longer supported and anchored by the connective tissue beneath the skin surface. That's right. And so they developed It's just worn out. It wasn't able to replace itself. Exactly. Yep. Okay, now we've got maybe 15 minutes, so let's get into the details then of how this clock 
actually works. All right, so how is it that the Hayflick limit works? How is it that uh, cells are controlled by this biological clock? Mm -hmm. This is what's been learned in about the past 10, 15 years. All right, and the, in the nucleus of each cell, all right, the center of each cell, that's where the DNA is kept. And the DNA is wrapped up in bundles, and we call these bundles chromosomes, all right? So people are probably familiar with those terms. At the end of each chromosome is a repeating series of nucleotides, okay, and which is just a fancy name for the base pairs of the DNA molecule. And the end of the chromosome is called a telomere, which right. is a fancy word for end of the chromosome, right? right? That's all it means. Yeah, it's the end of your VCR tape, basically. But anyway, yes. the, the longer the telomere, the more times a cell can divide. Correct. And a typical human stem cell s starts at birth with division, and it's about, uh, let's say, 10,000 base pairs long. Uh -huh. When it divides and divides and divides and divides, and it gets down to about 5,000 base pairs, there's a breaking mechanism built in that tells the cell to it tells the cell to stop re, um, um, dividing. Dividing. That's right. And that is when the cell reaches senescence. It can no longer divide. So, the length of your telomere tells you how long you're going to live. The longer your telomere is, the longer you will live because your cells can replace themselves more times. At each replication. The DNA is being copied. So each time a cell divides to replace an older damaged cell, it's copied by a copying machine, a true machine made out of protein. And in this case, this machine is called the DNA polymerase, which attaches itself to the strand of DNA and begins the copy process. Well, because as it moves along the DNA, copying the DNA, it actually takes up room on the DNA, right? It's a certain, the machine itself is a certain size. When it gets to the end of the DNA, it stops and it's not able to copy the rest of the DNA that it's sitting on. Do you follow that? I mean, it, maybe it's hard. I wish we could show pictures. This well, would be a great time for television. Well, actually, I have a great visual, Keith. If Go for you, it. If you've ever been to Pittsburgh, they have a very, very famous thing that goes up the hill. It's called the cog. Right. This cog thing looks like a gondola, but it's not hanging by um, cable. Mm -hmm. It's actually cogging, inching its way up the side of this hill by a, a machine that makes it move. Oh, I see where if you're you, going if you with think this. Of, if you think of that little gondola that's inching its way up the hill right. on this series of chains and hooks and so forth, right. it's, it's almost like the DNA polymerase on top of the DNA moving forward. Mm -hmm. But as it's doing so, it's copying. But the bottom line is that each new DNA copy has a shorter telomere. So built into that copying process is that you have less and less uh, chance of duplication once you get to the end of the line. Right. So because when the telomere becomes too short, then the DNA will no longer divide because it risks not being able to make a full copy. It gets down to the part where there's actual information to build things and not just control replication, so it stops. So again, another intelligent design that prevents things from going tragically wrong. Can you imagine if, as you got older, the DNA cells began to have less and less information in them? You'd get all kinds of mutations, and then you'd really have cancer. Everyone who got old would have cancer if that were the case. Well, how do we know that this uh, theory of aging is correct, Keith? Right. That's, let's look at that. We've got about 10 minutes left, so we can look at some of the proofs that this theory is correct. Okay, let's talk about progeria. You're the doctor. Tell us about progeria. Well, progeria is a known clinical concept, a known clinical diagnosis that fortunately we don't see that much of. Mm -hmm. But children who have progeria are born with short telomeres, and they typically die before the age of 20 from old age. Wow. Okay, they suffer all the ailments of old age. That is scary. Yeah, and in fact, there was a... Um, uh, a Brad Pitt movie, I believe. Oh, yeah? Um, along those lines. Oh, that sounds familiar. That yeah. had somebody with progeria in it? Oh, well, no, wait. That that was, never mind. I think it was the reverse. He started out oh, old and got oh, young. Oh, yeah, okay, all it right. It was different. But there was right, a movie never. about uh, progeria. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, they suffer all the old, uh, old age ailments uh, that we typically would see in somebody who's 75 or 85 years old. Uh, and it's all been implicated based on the length of the telomere, okay? Um, and we've already talked about the... Um, 
the telomere shortening as we age implicated in almost all the aspects of aging, including macular degeneration, cancers, cirrhosis. Let me talk about the liver just for a quick second. Sure. The liver is one of the most phenomenal organs that we have. It's oh, one I of know. the few organs that we have that can actually reduplicate itself or totally regenerate itself. Yeah. But I, in I, people who have cirrhosis, where they have just this horrendous damage, we, the, 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 the telomerase compensation is obliterated. Right. They, it just can't, it can't happen because the, the liver is just so diseased, mm. you know. Uh, but anyway, immunodeficiency syndromes, we've already talked about immune senescence, atherosclerosis, Alzheimer's disease, we can't uh, repair the brain cells, we've mentioned that, mm-hmm. wrinkling in the skin and so forth. Uh, so that's one proof, this fact that there's this disease called progeria is, it seems reasonable then, if a child can be born to you that dies of old age at 20 years old, isn't it possible that we are progeria victims and that maybe our ancestors actually lived to be 900 years old? So, oh, that's an interesting thought. So, so in other words, if, if the original uh, ancients were 1,000 years old or 900 years old, and now suddenly there was this defect right. that is modern-day progeria, but we're living to be 70 years of age. But we don't realize it because everybody lives the same age. Right. We don't realize that we are actually suffering from a disease, which is short telomeres. Yeah, we're one-tenth of what it used to be, in other words. Right. That's an interesting thought. S- now, what about this question, then? Why don't the telomeres of reproductive cells limit the number of generations? Okay, uh, so if they stop uh, dividing, then we'd run out. You'd go, f- you'd ha- reach that Hayflick limit. You'd go fifty generations, and then no more, no more children. Well, the answer is is quickly. Reproductive cells have have an enzyme called telomerase, and it goes to the end of the replicated DNA, and it makes the telomere longer again. Okay, so we don't have that problem. All so right. the reproductive cells are not affected by that. The gene for this enzyme exists in every cell, but it's turned off during the development of the fetus. So after you have conception, and then, of course, cell division happens, you have this developing unborn child. Yes. And it doesn't matter, you know, whether it's a human being or a chimpanzee or dog or, 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 dog or whatever, uh, that this, this telomerase yes. is turned off during the development of that developing embryo. The idea then is that inside your cell is something that would help you to live, if maybe not forever, at least for much longer, but it's turned off. This reminds me of that verse in Genesis, uh, chapter 3, verse 22, where the Trinity is talking amongst themselves, and they say, we better kick the, the man and woman out of the garden, because if they continue to stay here and eat the fruit of the garden, they'll live forever. Very interesting, perhaps related to telomerase. Well, let's let's talk about the cell immortality and some recent uh, genetic research that was done in the last 13 years. Uh, there was a scientist at Geron uh, who immortalized a sample of human skin tissue, and the way they did that, they introduced an unregulated copy of the gene within a virus, and the skin tissue became young and replicated continuously violating all of the Hayfleck limits till they ended the experiment. Uh, it also re- reduced the risk of mutation as well as skin cancer. Right. Phenomenal research. So and it, o- it only confirms what we've t- been talking about. Right. So that is research that's going on right now at companies like Geron and other companies that are looking at activating telomerase to help people live longer. So with that background in mind, Let's take a fresh look at the book of Genesis. We now understand that for the ancients to live long lives, all they needed was to have longer telomeres, right? There was a lifespan decrease after the flood from Shem, Noah's son, who lived 600 years, down to Abraham many generations later, who lived 175 years, and then many generations later to Saul, who lived 70 years old. Now, if we look at that decay, something very interesting comes out. It turns out that that lifespan decay matches an, what's called an exponential decay curve almost perfectly. Now, 
An exponential decay curve is a descriptive curve that happens to many biological and chemical processes that we know today mm -hmm. in the past couple of hundred years. We know about exponential decay curves. But did the people who were writing the Bible know about exponential decay curves? Doubtful. Right. So what they were actually doing is recording real history the decay of the lifespan of human beings because of the loss of the telomerase gene, it being turned off, and that uh, degradation, essentially, of DNA instructions happening over the time period. But you know what's interesting, too, Keith? Mm. As Genesis unfolds and the Noahic flood happens, all of humanity bottlenecks through the ark. Perfect time, a genetic bottleneck, perfect time for a mutation to express itself. Okay, so if you have four women who then repopulate the earth with this telomerase gene turned off as a genetic defect, then you're going to have the lifespan shortened dramatically right, to one-tenth of what it used to be. Now, this is an incredible problem for evolution. I mean, think about it. Natural selection selects for reproductive efficiency, right, the survival of as many offspring as possible. A long time of reproductive fertility, such as a person who lives a long time, should be selected for, right? A long lifespan, Mike, would give obvious survival benefits. But in fact, the telomerase gene already exists inside your body, inside my body, inside the bodies of every organism that dies after only 10 years or, or 30 days or whatever. The telomerase gene already exists and could easily be turned on, but in fact, it remains off in virtually every single species on Earth. Not explainable by an evolutionary concept. Natural selection should be able to do something easy. It's just on-off. It's not even creating the gene. The gene is already there, yeah. but yet no evolutionary force, no natural selection happens that turns that gene back on, that controls our biology, and that would make you much more reproductive. So the bottom line is that modern-day genetic research along the lines of telomeres actually is consistent with what everything we just said about the Bible going back to the ancients, right. to Noah, his sons, the Noahic flood, and then the repopulation of the earth with this uh, genetic defect. And it brings out an interesting idea, and that is... If you look at the history like Shem, who lived for 600 years, and Noah, who lived for 900 years, do you know that Noah didn't die until Abraham was about 65 years old? And Shem did not die until Abraham—he uh, outlived Abraham by 50 years. Mm. So Shem, Noah's son, outlived Abraham by 50 years. In fact, if you look, he outlived— nine generations of his own prodigy. So his generation after generation died of old age in front of his eyes. Now to th those who were dying, he probably looked immortal. They probably thought he was godlike. And what did the Greeks call the gods of the Olympus? The immortals. So in fact, even in, in uh, Homer, he talks about uh, the immortals being our ancestors, our gods and our ancestors. So they knew who they were. It's history. Well, you've been listening to Evidence for Faith with Keith Kendricks. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. Thank you for joining us. And join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. And always remember that the best reason for being a Christian is because it's true.